Hey guys, Dane here with the Darkroom Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. In today's episode, I chat with founder and CEO of HipCamp, Alyssa Ravasio. HipCamp is a platform that allows you to search, discover, and book campsites in public parks, private land, and campgrounds all across the United States with the overall mission to get more people outside. HipCamp definitely gives you the access to do that with over 17,000 campgrounds and 360,000 campsites across the country. Alyssa started HipCamp in 2013 after seeing holes in the way that people found and booked campsites due to lack of information and efficiency in the process. HipCamp is now the go-to platform for discovering an endless amount of camping experiences. Really enjoyed this chat with Alyssa and I hope you guys do too. So without further ado, here is a conversation with Alyssa Ravasio. Welcome to the Dark Room Podcast, where you'll get to hear from the best full-time creators on the planet. From starting out to where they are now and everywhere in between. Welcome to the Dark Room. So Alyssa Ravasio, thank you so much for giving me the time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. So doing homework in uh, for this interview and and you know scrolling through Instagram like I do occasionally and going on Hipcamp's site, I re- I started to think how like how much I take for granted how accessible seeing these places that we can go to uh, with either just a plane flight or just a car drive or just even like a long hike, but like having access to these places through these pictures and through these platforms, like it's so right there in front of us all the time. But like, what did people do before that? You know, like what did our parents do? Yeah. Right. But like, it's just such a different world of accessibility as you know, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, our HipCamp's whole mission is to get more people outside, and we really view the internet as a very powerful way to make that happen. So, completely agree with your insight that you know, social media and the internet, and kind of a lot of the connecting technologies we have today, are making that more accessible than ever before. Um, HipCamp included, as we're unlocking access to now hundreds of thousands of acres of private land across the U.S. Um, You know, I think one thing that's really interesting, if we look back in time a bit to others in that generation, you know, they may not have had uh, Instagram, um, but they also didn't have the incredible overwhelming crowds and pressures on public lands that we have today. Yeah. And so I think they were able to be a bit more spontaneous. Um, Whereas for me, you know, one of the big moments where I knew I had to start hip camp was realizing that trying to book a camping trip a couple of days out, you know, in many places, not just in California, but across the country. For me, I was in California was nearly impossible. Everything was booked. Um, and I, you know, really believe one of our core beliefs here is that people who get outside are happier and healthier individuals who start to really see themselves as part of this larger environmental global community and, you know, I think it, if people want to go outside, they should be able to. And our current system um, just makes that too hard too often. And so we are very blessed to have all these new technologies opening doors back up to us. Yeah. And like you said, too, like with with this technology comes the actual knowledge, too, of like what is going on in these national parks and state parks and like, you know, what kind of things you know, we need to start doing to one, like really protect them, but also for like your sake and hip camp's sake, 
to like help fund these areas and, and help fund, you know, even these like big, beautiful private land areas that without hip camp or even the knowledge that they're there could potentially just be gone. Yeah. A lot of our hosts, we've got, you know, thousands of hosts who own, you know, anywhere from a few acres to a few thousand acres um, across the United States. And for them, the money from hip camp that they earn often makes the difference in being able to really take good care of their land. And one of our most important company values is to leave it better. And that's what so many of our hosts do. They use this income to help, you know, restore the land, uh, replant native species, help repair stream beds. Um, and it's really important because we need more land um, that is protected and available for not just people, but the rest of nature to enjoy. Um, and we need a lot more of it very quickly. Um, the current science we're seeing around the loss of biodiversity and extinction makes it incredibly clear that the solution we need is more habitat. And that's exactly one of the main impacts of HipCamp. And I read that there's about 300,000 sites through HipCamp right now that you can book. Is that number about <laughs> accurate? Is it, is it more than that? Yeah. So we've got about 300,000 sites on HipCamp. A couple hundred thousand of those are on public land, which means that in many cases, we do now have the availability data, which is exciting. So you can see what's booked and what's available. And then around 100,000 of those are on private land, which means you can book those sites. Um, in many cases, most cases, they're only available on hip camp. And in general, these are places that you couldn't visit before. These are new, you know, think of them as new uh, people powered parks that are being opened up for you to enjoy um, yeah. across the whole country. That's awesome. So, okay, in the, in the beginning of Hip Camp, like right when you started, like version 1.0, did you kind of have to hand select certain spots that people could go and experience or did you leave it completely open so anybody could jump in, set up a, set up a profile and like get people there immediately? So it's a funny story. In the very early days of Hip Camp, we actually didn't have any private land at all. Oh, wow. um, the very early days of Hip Camp, we were a website to view all of your options across public land. Um, I was personally frustrated that my state parks and my national parks and my county parks were all on different websites. And I really just wanted to bring them all together. And my use case in particular was I love to surf and I was looking for a campground where I could get out to the ocean um, for New Year's. And I did, you know, just so many hours of research. It was so painful, almost gave up a bunch of times. Finally chose a campground down in Big Sur, read everything about it on the website. And then when I got there, realized that there was an incredible surf break and everybody had their surfboards and their oh, wetsuits. Yeah. And oh, I had no. not learned that despite <laughs> hours of research. And so yeah. the original version of Hip Camp was really just a place for the community of people who love to get outside to share information about the best campgrounds out there with each other. Now, through building that for a couple of years, what we learned is that there was a larger problem that made camping so hard. It wasn't just that the websites were fragmented or hard to use. There actually weren't enough campsites. And so that's when we started with private land and, yeah. and really decided that creating more places for people to go was, um, you know, the only way to solve the problem and fulfill our mission to get more people out there. Yeah. And, and has, you know, has the feedback with, with the private land, at least when you, when you made that, um, addition, like, was that all a positive experience? Did you deal with 
um, any issues between like, you know, guests or people going into these private lands, like anything happening or was it always like a smooth process with, with the private landowners? I would say, you know, it was very clear from a pretty, um, early part of the stage, not the very beginning, getting the first one to sign up was yeah. nearly impossible. Um, but once we kind of got a few people signed up and especially once we were able to offer a really good liability insurance, um, it became very clear that there was a really strong desire for this across, you know, many of the landowners we were talking to across the United States. So for them, this was a way to not only offset, you know, the rising cost of things like property taxes and land management, it was also in many cases a way to really amplify their mission and their values and get more. A lot of these landowners are really, you know, passionate about the environment and getting people comfortable being outside and learning about the, you know, native flora and fauna. And so there was a pretty clear point, you know, where it became obvious that people really wanted a way to connect with the broader community of people who cared about the outdoors. Yeah. And with people that are, are using hip camp when it comes to, to people traveling to these spots, do you find that it's, it's more of like the nomad, almost like the camp hoppers, I guess I'll, I'll call it, but just, just people that kind of live their life like this? Or do you see it being a lot of people, you know, from cities, like major cities to get out and like travel for a weekend? Is it kind of all of the above? Like what's the, the general demographic? It's a really good split between those two, actually. So we have, um, and we've kind of focused more on building up really good bases of, you know, hip camps around cities. Yeah. Because we know that, especially as urbanization really accelerates at this kind of breakneck pace, it, it's, you know, public lands aren't keeping up. And you've got all these people in cities who are super just overstressed, overwhelmed, on their phones and emails 24-7. Like, they need to get outside right away. Yeah. This is like, this is like a health crisis. So, um, that's a big area that we focus on and always have, but increasingly we're seeing, um, you know, definitely this kind of more nomadic traveler, um, a lot of international activity, a lot of people coming over to the U S from, you know, Europe or Japan or South America, and they are exclusively using hip camp on a lot of their travels because they love the variety and the uniqueness of the different places. And they really, I think, enjoy the opportunity to connect with these landowners and see different ways that people are, you know, living with the land. And maybe they have a regenerative farm business. Maybe it's a lavender farm. Maybe it's a, an incredible ranching operation. Um, there's a really big thirst, I think, to learn about all these different ways people can live in a good way with the environment. Yeah. And like going back to what you said about um, at least people in coming from major cities or, or big cities that, you know, kind of get cooped up during the week and they need this, this outlet, this thing to like get them out of that, you know, spot to like go in the mountains or go, you know, camping or hiking. But for one, like it's, it always interests me, like how that is, you know, it really does help. And, you know, myself living in LA too, and there's probably sirens in the background you can hear, I'm sure. Um, but like, I've always really felt that a lot. And I think that a lot of times that feeling can kind of fade away and I have to go out and remember that like, yes, like this is really what, at least for me, like what it feels to like be alive and to like breathe this air and like, it feels so good. What kind of, you know, either experiences early on or, or at least like how you grew up, it seems like you grew up 
being into this as well, like being outdoors, like, you know, what, what was your early experience with like that being, or like that feeling of, of wanting to be outdoors? I was super lucky in that my parents really, you know, prioritized camping and getting outside. It was kind of the thing we did for family vacations growing up. I have two little sisters, so Mm -hmm. I'm sure the affordability of that option made it (laughs) awesome for them as well. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but our particular type of camping was either, you know, actually going, my dad loves to fly fish and I grew up getting to do so as well. And so we would often stay at a campground for a couple weeks right on a really beautiful river. So I got to spend a ton of time getting very familiar um, on an intimate level with, you know, this particular bend of this particular river. Yeah, And I just think that the, you know, connection to place that that can build, um, really developed in me a desire to always have that connection. I've always felt a really, you know, strong connection to be close to plants and animals and the outdoors. And when I'm in cities too long, I start to go kind of crazy. Um, like I really need to be reminded, like you said, like what, what's more, what does, you know, what really makes me feel alive is, is really being out there and being connected to something bigger. So that was a huge part of it for me. And then we also would go camping with other families and that was so fun to get to spend time and make friends in the outdoors away from kind of the weird dynamics of preschool, middle school, elementary school, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, for me growing up, you know, I was, um, I was very smart. I was kind of a nerd. And so camping was often this time where I actually developed a lot of, um, patience. I would say like, I would, I would call it now patience, but yeah. also like, uh, you know, self-worth and kind right. of like confidence in myself and, and, you know, doing things like my sisters and I would go spend many hours trying to traverse a certain section of the river. Um, and, and really getting to learn that, wow, I'm strong. Wow. I'm brave. Wow. Together we can do this. Like those are really valuable lessons that I think I've, you know, really carried with me. And now as an adult, it's fascinating because so much of the science that's coming out is proving this. It's proving that going outside, you know, increases your resiliency to stress for weeks. Um, it's proving that when you go outside, you're more creative. Um, you're more hardwired for things like gratitude and teamwork and compassion. And like, these are things our world needs more of. Um, so it's exciting. The science is catching up too. Yeah. And you know, as a, as a CEO who, and you're in San Francisco, right? Yeah. Yeah. So as a CEO and like, you know, the heart of the tech industry and just like, you know, everything that's going on there. Um, how do you, you know, how do you balance out? Like even in your own life, you know, like needing to be like in the office and on calls and, and, you know, running meetings and doing talks, but also like, you know, being pulled outdoors and like wanting to, to be outside, but maybe even to like, you know, take people that work with you, like with you, like, how do you, how do you balance both of those worlds without, you know, giving one side too much favor? That is the, uh, the practice of a lifetime. Yeah, that's it, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for me, practice, I really define as something that like you will never be done getting better at. Yeah. <laughs> it's just always a lifetime of work and mastery. So, you know, for me, I think a lot of it's been about developing, um, like I've really started to trust my body and listen to my body. And so yeah. I can really feel even like well before my mind gets like scattered or stressed, I can start to feel in my body if I haven't been outside enough. And, you know, I feel very fortunate that I can go outside and kind of still 
look at it as kind of work. It's kind of research. Um, and so I go camping, you know, most weekends, especially in the summer. Nice. Um, just this past weekend, I actually took Monday off, which I think is awesome. Everyone takes Friday off. But like, yeah, Mondays are good. Monday is amazing because yeah. nobody takes Monday off. Yeah. And um, I got to spend a few days up at a beautiful farm that has all these cabins and this river and they have a pizza oven. And it just was this great chance to really, you know, turn off the phone, turn off the computer, get back, you know, the moon. I didn't never knew what time it was. I think that's really important. I love getting out of the like digital time and instead being like, oh, the sun's at this point in the sky. So we should probably start thinking about, you know, making a move back to the, to the cabin. Exactly. Um, I always find that when I do that and I really get to sink into that place, when I come back to work, I'm twice as effective. I'm twice as smart. I get twice as much done in half the time. And I just need to keep reminding myself of that because that it's almost like the secret competitive advantage I feel like I have versus other tech CEOs. I always meet other CEOs and they're so tired and they're so stressed and they're so proud of how they're not sleeping. And I'm like, I bet you are so ineffective. <laughs> and so tired all the time. <laughs> yeah. What kind of, uh, you know, what kind of things when you are like, you know, in your zone and back in the office and, and like living that lifestyle, like what, you know, what kind of ways do you, do you, take stress off like what's it what's a good stress relief when it comes to like either meditating or like having more of like a scheduled routine in the mornings like do you have any like daily practices that like really help you out I love this question um I have so many and awesome. again con- constantly trying new things um the biggest one I learned that I think is just the foundation um that is what I tell pretty much every founder who reaches out to me asking Mm -hmm. for advice is like, don't skimp on sleep. Nothing good comes from sleeping less. It's just not, it's a fallacy. So I've actually managed to create a day and I'm an early riser by nature. So it's Mm -hmm. easy, but I, I don't use alarms in the morning. So I always let my body kind of finish its natural sleep cycles. Um, I still wake up pretty early, like normally six 30 or seven or earlier right now because of, you know, such long days with the sun. Um, so that's, big one I do meditate um, I meditate twice a day that's been a huge um, kind of ability for me to stay really clear-minded I often have you know eight or nine hours of meetings a day so oh, wow. slipping and if an afternoon meditation and has been a huge help and then a morning um, as well is that the, yeah. the second one yeah yeah so morning first thing in the morning and then in the afternoon um, I learned a technique recently called transcendental meditation which yeah. is at least for me been so much easier than other meditation practices just in pure ease of doing it. Yeah. Um, so to, just to, to even like explain it to me a little better because I've, I've heard about that for a while, but you know, to dig into what it actually is, is that just like a, like a 15 to 20 minute, I guess you could say shorter form meditation, but like completely on your own. Is that? Yeah. So it's a 20 minute, you do a 20 minute meditation with a rest period after. And the thing about it, for me that made it so much easier is in many other types of meditation I've learned, you know, when you had a thought come up, you were supposed to like not attach to it and like let it drift by. And like, if you're really busy for me, meditation sessions tended to be really productive to do list making sessions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Which wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but always felt, um, like I was probably kind of missing the point. And yeah. with transcendental meditation, a couple important concepts get introduced. One, you receive a mantra, which kind of helps you have a bit of an anchor point to come back to. So you can 
replace the thoughts in your mind with something a bit more um, kind of calming and centering. And then secondly, you know, the way you're trained is that the, you know, the thinking and the thoughts that come up, this is natural. This is not bad. It's actually proof that the meditation's working and you're releasing stress. So you don't have to like, it kind of took a lot of the like tape, a, I have to succeed and have zero thoughts pressure away from meditation and just mm-hmm. made it a much more um, rejuvenating, restful kind of experience for me. And it made a great impact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like too, like it's cool to try things and it's cool to, uh, you know, even give things like a month at a time or just to see like what can work for you by giving it like 30 days or, you know, something like that. Like now, like for the last three weeks I've been running three miles a day and I hate running. It's the worst. (laughs) I still hate it so much. And if people ask about it, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like I, I guess I'd recommend it, but I hate it, but I'm just like, I'm sticking (laughs) with it because you know, like I want to, I just want to do it. And like, even, even to like be able to accomplish like those little things, right? Like, all right, like 30 days of this, like no matter what, I'm going to do it. And then at the end of it, if you don't like it and if it didn't really make you feel, you know, better as a human or better, um, you know, emotionally, just whatever you're looking to get, like, at least like you kind of hit that, you know, that threshold of like knowing that it either A, worked or B, just wasn't for you. So I think it's cool to like be testing out, you know, different things like that. Absolutely. And I love that 30 day technique because I'm a, I'm a big believer. And I think actually some of the science I've seen recently supports this, but generally the more you enjoy something, um, the better it is for you on lots of levels. I think fun overall is just super underrated, but often starting something new that's hard isn't fun and we have to like build up into it feeling fun. So I really like that 30 day um, guideline. I think that's a good one. And I'm always trying new things too. I've really found that there's, you know, there's definitely a set of activities that for me can be super transformative. Like here in San Francisco, we're lucky to have the ocean. Um, and I'm one of those crazy people who goes in the ocean without a wetsuit sometimes. (laughs) And that just, that just totally changes everything for me. If I can get in the waves, if I can go jump and play in the waves, even for five or 10 minutes, my whole week is going to be different. So, you know, finding and experimenting and then finding those things that just completely, you know, elevate your experience of your reality. Like those are things to keep doing for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, it's, uh, as a West coaster, at least growing up in the West coast, I don't know what it is about cold water, but I, I can't do it. Like if you t- <laughs> like even jump in the ocean now, like I was at the, the ocean on Sunday and my oh. girlfriend's like, I'm going to go in. I was like, I'm not going in that thing. That's, <laughs> there's sharks in there, but that's cold water. And it's like in Los Angeles, it's not that cold. Uh, it's it's cold up cold. by you though. In San Francisco, that water is cold. That water is really yeah. cold. Um, but to, to, to jump into, um, you know, the last five years as, you know, the CEO and founder of Hip Camp, like what, what are some things that, you know, looking back at like the 2014, 2015 version of you and like looking at the 2019 version going to 2020, like as a CEO specifically, like what are some of the changes either you've made or, or you've wanted to, to change for hip camp or just kind of like the progression of like your life as an entrepreneur? So I think, you know, one of the coolest things about starting a company or, you know, business, whether it's a startup that's meant to scale or a business where you're you know, employing, you know, even, you know, just yourself, which is very hard and challenging. Um, To do that and to do that well, you are going to have to face all of your flaws, all of your insecurities, all of your soft spots, interpersonally, intrapersonally. Um, It's just this incredible uh, kind of pressure cooker for human development. 
It's yeah. just like so much harder than like having a job and being a cog in a wheel. Um, so I think that there's, you know, a million things I could point to. I think, you know, kind of one of the biggest themes of the last few years for me has been kind of personal growth and development. And yeah. that's part of what makes being at a startup so fun is, you know, hip camps only 40 or so people. And so everybody here is having this incredible kind of pressure cooker experience where what they're expected to do this month and what they're expected to do the month after is radically changed under their feet and they've got to rise to meet the challenge. So I think for me, um, personally, a lot of, of what's changed, um, definitely like developing more confidence in my own voice as a female in business. There aren't um, that many, or at least not a high rate of examples of women who are demonstrating what being a leader looks like. And so I think early on that led me to wonder if how I was doing things was wrong because it was different. Um, so for example, I'm a very emotionally open person. It's not uncommon if you report to me or even if you don't to hear me say things like, well, that scared me or I was frustrated. And, and for some people that is really different from anything they've ever experienced from a CEO. Yeah. Um, and for a while I was like, oh my gosh, am I doing it wrong? Do I need to figure out how to like just put all these emotions in a box and not talk about them? And over time, what I've learned is that, you know, first of all, there's no one good leadership style, but also, you know, that a lot of what I felt was wrong or different was actually my strength and that I, it's actually important that I don't, uh, hide that or, or, um, you know, not lean into that. So that's been a big learning. I think, um, even just hearing you say the words 2014, 2015, like, man, those were hard years. Yeah. Those were really hard years. And I think, um, you know, one of the biggest things that's changed is, um, you know, back then, especially, I think so much of my self-worth was really tied up in the success of the company, which on one hand you could view as good because like, I was not going to let this company fail come hell or high water. It yeah. wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, the flip side of that was, I think I was, you know, almost, uh, too emotionally invested where the ups and downs felt like personal ups and downs and reflections of my personal worth. And I think that is really common for anyone who, you know, when your business and your livelihood kind of are something that you've created, it's really easy to get, trapped in that thought that if it fails, I fail. And if it succeeds, I succeed. And I think that just leads to a lot of, um, you know, too much stress, uh, kind of getting too high on your own highs, uh, and then too lows, too low on your own lows. Um, and so that's a really big thing I've shifted as well. Um, and then just self-care. I think, you know, one of our company values is actually practice self-care, particularly because in those couple of years, um, I kind of developed this mental model that for hip camp to succeed, I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't exercise. I just had to work, work. And I bet that we would have gotten further faster as a company if I'd never developed that thought in the first place. And so really taking the time to, you know, keep your mind and body in good, good, healthy state, um, I think is just a prerequisite of being successful at this point. Yeah. I love that. That's so nicely said. I would love to say too that uh, obviously 2014, 2015, although you know it seems like it was definitely that hurdle to get over, and and, and you went through a ton of you know learning and experience when it comes to you know learning what works and what doesn't. But five years later, uh, it seems like you know you definitely came out on the on the winning side of it, and it is 
really an amazing tool and a platform that like everybody should be using. And really just like we talked about earlier, just like to get outside, right. And to like really go out and, you know, spend a weekend or a week or a day. Um, but it's important and it can help you in more aspects of life than you realize. Definitely. So again, thank you for that. Thank you for hip camp and thank you so much for this and giving me the time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. For sure. And real quick, can you let people know um, how to get involved in HipCamp and, you know, even like for Instagram and and places that they could go um, look at some stuff? Definitely. So you can find HipCamp at HipCamp.com or in the iPhone app store coming out on Android very shortly here. Nice. And then on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter, um, we're just at HipCamp and would love to hear from you. So tag us. Um, and then, you know, we're always hiring. Uh, we're always looking for more, uh, landowners who are interested in sharing their beautiful properties with our community, earning some income, and also just really supporting the movement of people who want to get outside and connect with nature. And then of course we have thousands and thousands of places for you to get outside and, you know, take your own personal retreat and, uh, really connect with what's most important. So, um, plenty of ways to get involved with the hip camp community. Oh, and we have, I should absolutely mention, um, we have a program called field scouts where we'll actually pay photographers to go visit new hip camps. Oh, Um, nice. So that is uh, a very interesting way to also get involved with the community. Awesome. Well, Alyssa Ravasio, thank you so much. Really, thank you very, very much for coming on and, uh, and chatting with us. Thank you for having me. That'll do it, guys. Thank you so much for hanging out and listening to that episode with Alyssa. You can follow Hip Camp on Instagram at Hip Camp. Uh, they post a lot of cool campsites and, and places that they have available. And it's just a really cool feed as well to uh, to browse through. So do that for sure. You can say hey to us at Darkroom. You can say hey to me at Dane Diener. If you like this episode, please let us know on iTunes uh, or tell your friends. Tell people that are like, I need a podcast to listen to. What should I listen to? I see a lot of that. And you know, it's tough because I want to say the Darkroom podcast, but I can't. I feel like, right? I mean, come on, let's be real. If I did that to all those posts, people would be like, yeah, yeah, we get it. Okay. We, we understand. We understand why you're saying that. Uh, but really let people know, um, because I, it's hard for me to, and us too, but yeah. So anyways, all right, you guys, uh, I appreciate you a lot. We appreciate you and we will see you guys next week.